It was a dark and stormy night. Have you ever seen the Peanuts cartoon when Snoopy is up in his doghouse and he's got his old typewriter and he's typing away and he's creating a new novel that's going to be a mass sensation and he starts with that powerful phrase, right? It was a dark and stormy night. Well, there was a time about 10 years ago when I really sensed it was a dark and stormy night. It had nothing to do with the weather. It had a lot to do with what was going on inside of my heart that night. I was just finished uh, practice with my soccer team. And I've played soccer since I was a kid. I love it. It's uh, part of my growing up and part of who I still am today. And I've played with some of these guys for many years. A few are newer, but some of them, we've had lots of good talks over the years. They know, all know I'm a pastor, right? We've had some, some spiritual conversations, but um, they weren't, typically they aren't that interested in getting into a lot of spiritual conversations. So here I was at the end of practice and it was almost Christmas time. I wanted to invite some of them to the Christmas production. I had a few little invitation cards with me. And so I was simply gonna hand some out to a couple of them and say, hey, if you guys are interested, you know, I'm gonna be there, we'd love to have you come and join us. Pretty simple, right? The problem is when I went to say something, the words got stuck, they wouldn't come out. And I had this fear just grip me. And all these thoughts started to go through my head. And then I would think of a different way to say it and then Pretty soon, a couple of guys left, and then everyone had left, and I'm walking alone to my car thinking, what just happened? And that was the dark and stormy night in my soul. Why can't I be myself, even about my faith, with people that I've known sometimes for years? Why is this so hard for me? Have you ever felt that way? You know, they say that for most people, there's no greater fear than the fear of public speaking, right? And I think for some of us, the greatest type of public speaking we're afraid of is sharing our faith in public. It's, it just becomes so fearful to us. An opportunity presents itself. Instead of seeing it as a wonderful chance to share some powerfully good news with people we care about, we find ourselves going through this list of concerns in our mind, right? I, I kind of call it my demotivation list for sharing my faith. And I think some of you know what I'm talking about. Thoughts come into our minds like, this might not be a good time. I don't think they're really interested. What if they feel pressured, right? I don't want to be one of those annoying Christians who's always pushing their faith into someone else's face. I don't know what words to use. Besides, I'm no evangelist. I don't want to mess this up. I want to push them further away from Jesus. I'm not trained enough. I'm not bold enough, spiritual enough, mature enough, etc. And some of these concerns are actually good concerns. You know, pushing our beliefs on some who, people who don't want to hear about it is not helpful. But never sharing about the change God's made in our lives is not helpful either. And if this demotivation list doesn't totally kill my desire to share my faith altogether, sometimes it freezes me until the opportunity is passed, like it did in this situation. And when that happens, we don't just miss out on sharing the good news with a friend but we also start to feel guilty about not doing that. Like we're not really being true to Jesus. It makes us even more discouraged and our desire to share our faith gets even weaker and it becomes this downward cycle. So how do we break out of this? I think we might find help today from Matthew chapter 10. Now we're in the middle of this series on the book of Matthew. So we're gonna do a really quick review of the context of this passage uh, before we dive into what we're gonna look at this week. So the big picture context, the book of Matthew, right? It's one of four gospels on the life of Jesus. 
And Matthew writes specifically to Jewish Christians. And it's all about this theme. And I love how Gordon Fee captures this. Matthew is all about Jesus, the messianic king, inaugurating the time of God's kingly rule. Matthew believes that the gospel or the good news is this. The kingdom of God has arrived through Jesus. That's the gospel, according to Matthew. It's all about the kingdom of God. Matthew 4.17 records Jesus' core message that he preached wherever he went. So this is at the beginning of his ministry, right? And so he kept repeating this message over and over. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. That's the good news that Matthew is sharing. This same passage appears in Mark 1, 14 to 15. And Mark says it this way. Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God, right? So what is this good news? The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe this good news. So you see, the good news is about forgiveness, yes. But it's about much more than that, right? It's actually about God's forgiveness being the doorway that brings us into a whole new way of experiencing God and of living. A, a, a doorway that leads us into the kingdom of God. Living under Jesus' rule and reign. And what does that mean? It means that the love and the joy and peace of Christ is bubbling up inside us more and more because we're in his kingdom and his spirit is bearing the fruit of the spirit in our lives. It means that we have a desire for holiness, for purity, because the goodness of God is changing us from the inside out. It means that we know and, and press into our identity in Christ and we live out of our authority in Christ more and more. The good news means experiencing more of that abundant life that Jesus came to give. Remember John 10, 10. I have come that you might have life and have it to the full, have it more abundantly. Jesus said, that's why I have come, to let us experience this kingdom living for ourselves. So that's Matthew. Now let's look at Matthew 10. Well, the cool thing about Matthew 10 is this is Jesus talking just with the 12. So we get a little insider glimpse into Jesus with this group of 12 that he spent so much time with. And he's preparing to send them out to do what he's been doing. And they're going to prepare their way for him to come. Uh, he's going to come after them as they prepare their way for him. They're going to share the good news of God's kingdom. And they're going to declare it in the power of God's authority and power. Verses 1 to 15 of this chapter, we, we heard about a couple weeks ago. Ashwin taught on this. And this is Jesus giving the disciples instructions, right? Where to go, what to bring, how to share the good news of God's kingdom, how to find and communicate and declare good news to people of peace. How do we find those people of peace? And then verses 16 to 25, last week, Rosemary touched on this challenging passage about Jesus teaching the disciples how to respond when they're facing persecution, how to be wise how to be innocent and harmless, how to rely on the Holy Spirit's guidance, and above all, to remember and depend on Jesus' presence with them. Well, this week we look at verses 26 to 33, which talks about how we can respond to the challenges that come with sharing the good news when we're facing persecution. So let's read these verses together. So do not be afraid of them. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. 
Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my father in heaven. Let's pray together. Jesus, these are your words. And we're reading them some 2,000 years after you first spoke them. We really want to know what you have to say to us about them. So we open up our minds and our hearts and spirits, every part of our being to you. And Spirit of Christ, come, enlighten us, empower us, enliven us, enable us to experience you in your words. And, and change us, even through this, move us into a greater experience of your kingdom living in our lives. And we know you will do this as we trust you and let you. We pray this in your powerful name, Jesus. Amen. You know, Jesus knows that his disciples will experience persecution when they share the good news. He just told them this in verses 24 and 25, right? If the master is persecuted, so will the students be. And I love that Jesus knows how this makes them feel. He takes time to talk with them about it. It's almost like he's saying, hey, I know the elephant in the room, right? We're all talking about persecution and the challenges of this. Let me just talk about the elephant in the room for a minute. You're afraid. And I love that he just names that and he addresses their fear. The root of the Greek word for fear that's used here is phobia. You might recognize that because we use it in English to talk about a deeply ingrained fear of something, right? A phobia of spiders, a phobia of the dark, a phobia of uh, large crowds, whatever it might be. This word for fear actually appears four times in this short passage. It appears at the beginning, in the middle, and then pretty much near the end as well. So it's important we pay attention to this for a minute. Verse 26, do not be afraid of them, Jesus says. Verse 28, don't be afraid of those. Rather, be afraid of the one. And then verse 31, so don't be afraid. Now remember, fear is an emotion, right? So it's neither good nor bad. Fear by itself is not sin. It just tells us how we're feeling. The question is, how are we going to respond to that fear? Will we try to ignore it, pretend it's not there, right? Put on some super spiritual face, nothing bugs me. Will we let it control us? Kind of like happened with me in that experience with my soccer team when I just couldn't even share something that, you know, to, to some friends that I knew well. Or will we invite Jesus into our fear and let him work in us and through us in spite of our fear? I think this is the core truth of this passage. Jesus offers us courage in the midst of our fear. And if we receive courage from him, we'll have all the power we need to share the good news about Jesus with grace and truth in every situation we find ourselves in. Okay, I want to repeat that. Jesus offers us courage in the midst of our fear. And if we'll receive his courage, we'll have all the power we need to share the good news of Jesus with grace and truth in every circumstance we find ourselves in. So where do we get this courage? 
Well, I think first, the courage to share the good news about Jesus comes from declaring the word of God. Look at verses 26 and 27. So do not be afraid of them. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What I whisper in your ear, proclaim it from the roofs. So why is Jesus connecting do not be afraid with this idea of future events, things that have been veiled or covered will now be unveiled or uncovered. Things that were secret and hidden will now be made known. What do those two things have to do with each other? How is it supposed to help the disciples? How is it supposed to help us to not be afraid when we're feeling persecuted or mocked in sharing the good news? Well, these phrases about uncovering and revealing actually appear in two other places, Mark 4:22 and Luke 8:17, And in both instances, Jesus has just finished the parable of the sower and the seed. And then he talks about this idea of uncovering. So in the parable of the sower and the seed, the person is sowing the seed and the seed is good news, right? It's God's word. Sowing the good word, it's falling on different soils. And the different soils are the different kinds of hearts people have and they respond in kind. And right after that, right after the sowing of the good news, there's this declaration of don't, you don't have a lamp and then put a blanket or a cover over it. You put the lamp up high so everyone can see. And I think that's about letting the good news shine. I think that's where those two things go together. The parable of the sower is sowing the good news. And then the light and uncovering it is letting it shine. So Jesus is contrasting living in fear with living in the light. Sowing the seed of God's word is simply letting who Jesus is shine out of us. Giving into fear of what people think and what they might do right? Mock us or persecute us. That causes us to cover up his light. Fear keeps others in the dark, but you know what? It keeps us. It keeps us in the dark as well because we're now bound to fear. We're now bound and trapped by it and controlled and unable to share the good news that is there. Courage grows when we focus less on what people think of us on fear and we focus more on what God's word really is. The fear, the feelings of fear might still be there, but let's look at the light ourselves. Let's look at the word of God that we're declaring and notice what kind of word of God it is. Here are two things that can help our courage grow as we look at God's word. The first is God's word is the most beautiful message ever, right? We don't have to come up with our own message. And I love this. Whenever we preach or teach, we have a ton of great material to work with. We have God's word. We don't have to try to make up a self-help or a motivational speech. We get to just declare God's word. God's word is the most beautiful message ever. We don't have to come up with a loving message. We already have one. We don't have to come up with a creative message. We already have one. We don't have to think of some relevant message for this day and age. We already have one. We don't have to come up with a more truthful message, a more grace-filled message, or a more life-changing message. We already have one. That's the beauty and the diversity and the, uh, of God's word. And then secondly, God's word is the most powerful message ever. I mean, think about it. What happens in scripture when God opens his mouth and says something? Things happen, right? When God speaks, light comes into existence. Let there be light. There was nothing. All of a sudden, light exists just because God speaks. Worlds are created. Stars are born. When God speaks, he makes promises. He makes a covenant. 
first to a person, Abraham, and then to descendants, and then to a whole nation. A covenant relationship, and that covenant he never breaks. It lasts forever. When God speaks, he frees people from slavery, and he brings them out of bondage. He brings them into a relationship with himself, and he tells them at Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments, how to have loving relationship with himself, how to have loving relationship with one another. When God speaks, the word becomes flesh. He becomes Jesus. And his word calms storms. As Jesus speaks, storms are calmed, right? He casts out demons. He heals diseases. He loves sinners. He changes hearts. And he dies to free us. When God speaks, his disciples speak. And they speak out good news. Remember on the day of Pentecost? To people from many nations. And 3,000 people begin new, become new creations in Christ in one day. And at the end of time, when God speaks, he will destroy evil for good. He'll make all things new again. Right? God's creative word is going to be spoken again. And we'll have a new earth and a new heaven. No wonder in Isaiah 55, 11, God says that his word will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose, the purpose for which I sent it. The word of God is full of beauty and power. And all we need to do is uncover that light and hold it up and let it shine for people to see and to respond to this good news. So Jesus reminds us that the fear of persecution fades away into the background when the light of the good news is uncovered and revealed for all to see, including for us to see the very words we're sharing. We receive courage to share the good news when we fix our eyes on the beauty and power of the word of God that we're declaring. Now, secondly, the courage to share the good news about Jesus comes from trusting in the power of God. Verse 28. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, the word afraid appears twice here, and both times it's in the imperative mood, right? And so this is a, a certain mood of Greek, which is stronger than the one that appears in verse 26. Verse 26 is more like, you don't need to be afraid. It's that idea. Here, it's more of a command word. Don't be afraid. It's really important, Jesus is saying. And the word for power also appears twice in this verse, and that Greek word is dunamis. And that's important to know because it doesn't appear clearly twice, in, depending on which English translation you're using. And from that Greek word dunamis, we get the English word dynamite. So it's about power. Here's how afraid and power are related in this verse. Jesus says, we don't need to be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. But the actual words that are there in Greek is, have no power to kill the soul. In other words, People have no power to destroy us. Remember, Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. In fact, the book of Matthew that we're studying ends with that passage. He has all authority. So he's ultimately the one in control, not those who are persecuting us. Jesus does have the power, the dunamis, to destroy both body and soul. So he is the one to fear and respect. It's like Jesus is saying, why would you be afraid of them? Don't you see how small and powerless people are? Right, they're here one day, they're gone the next. I am the one with all authority and power over life and death, both their lives and yours. There is literally no reason to fear them. They and you should fear my kind of power. 
brings to mind a story of when I was young. And I think I was in grade one or two. It was these early elementary years. We lived in Regina at the time. I have an older brother, two years older than me. We were coming home from school across this park. And uh, we were just across, we were almost um, at our house. We just had to cross an alley and then go into our backyard and we'd be home. But before we got there, while we were still in the park, this group of boys came around. They were a bit older and bigger and there were more of them. And they started pushing, uh, pushing my brother around and mocking us. I can't remember what they were even saying. And I remember, I'm really tiny, right? Grade one or two. I mean, I'm a small person anyway. I was much smaller back then. And so for some reason, I jump on some big guy's back and I don't know if I started to, I don't know what I was trying to do, but it didn't do anything. So my brother, I think, says something like, you know, get help or get dad or something. So I immediately tear across the alley into the back door and I yell something for my parents. And my dad, um, if you don't know him, he does live in Calgary. Maybe a few of you have met him, but he is a totally laid back person, right? He's really chill, doesn't get all worked up about stuff. He takes it easy, he takes things as they come. Well, I have never seen him run like that. He tore out of that back door, down the steps and across the alley and the, the kids that were still surrounding my brother just scattered. And, and he ran and he actually caught one of them. And he just held him, he wasn't like hurting him, but he was holding him and I could see from a little distance away. He had a short and very effective chat with this kid. And let me tell you, seeing my dad's power in action took my fear away. And I don't think they ever pushed and bullied us that way again. Now, Jesus' goal here is to not to make us afraid of God, but rather to grow our faith in him. We have an Abba father who tears out the back door and who scatters the enemy. We have a father who is for us. And the book of Matthew, again, ends by declaring this truth that Jesus has been given all authority. And he's the same one who says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. So living in the fear and reverence of Jesus actually means living in great faith and joy because his presence and his power are always with us. And those are so much more powerful than anything the enemy or anyone else who's persecuting us can do to us. As Jesus' disciples, we get to bring him our fears and release them to him. And this helps us to fix our eyes on Jesus' identity, on Jesus' authority. And that reminds us, because we are in Christ, of our identity and our authority. Our identity that we are God's children, Romans 8. His spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. That we are also God's ambassadors, 2 Corinthians 5. That we speak that word, be reconciled. God wants you to come back into his family. And then our authority, that we can literally do everything through him who gives us strength, Philippians 4.13. Whatever God calls us to do, not whatever we want to do, whatever he calls us to do, we will be able to do because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world, 1 John 4.4. So the more we trust in the power of God, the more we can let go of our fears and live out of faith. And this gives us courage to share his good news with others. Lastly, the courage to share the good news about Jesus comes from clinging to the love of God. Verse 29 to 31. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Notice here that sparrows 
are cheap pets, right? They're cheap. This penny that's talked about is the smallest copper coin they had. It was worth about a sixteenth of a day's wage, so maybe 10 bucks or so in our, in our money today. You know, I actually went on Calgary Kijiji the other day, and I've never done this before, but I searched for pets, and I found some birds on there, and the cheapest birds I could find was, were these little chicks, and guess what they went for? $10 a chick. The one who makes everything known, verse 26 of our passage, he reveals and uncovers everything. And the one with all power, that's the same one who cares when even a single bird falls to the ground. Notice the personal parental language used for God here. Your father, right? The one who cares for the sparrows is also your father. Your father knows you, even the number of hairs on your head. It's a very personal language being used. And your father thinks you are worth more than many sparrows. Notice the exponential language that Jesus uses here. He cares about one sparrow. He cares a lot about many sparrows. And he values you way beyond that. He notices every detail about you. I think Jesus' point here is, if your father knows and cares about things that seem so insignificant to us, then he must place incredible value on us. So therefore, this imperative command word, so therefore, don't be afraid. Jesus continues this thought in the last couple of verses, verses 32 to 33. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my father in heaven. Now these verses about acknowledging and disowning may not seem to fit for us. But I think Jesus is actually using them in context to reinforce what he's been declaring about God's fatherly love for us. What he's saying is, and this is the last verse, verse 33. If you really want to disown or renounce your relationship with Jesus, you can do that. And with grief, Jesus will acknowledge that and let the Father know that you have rejected your identity in Christ as part of God's family and gone your own way. We have that choice. And even though God's heart breaks, he will acknowledge that choice that we've made. But the emphasis in this passage is really because it's just coming out of his fatherly love for us. The emphasis is really on verse 32. When we accept the good news for ourselves and give our lives to follow Jesus before others, then through Jesus, we become the children of the Father here and now. And that means we have a Father for all eternity. If we declare and live as Jesus' disciples, then Jesus' Father becomes our Father as well, forever. These last two verses are all about whose we are, whose family we belong to. We can announce that we belong to Jesus and his Father, or we can decide to renounce any adoption Jesus has offered us into his father's family. But since we've chosen to accept this adoption, since we've become Jesus' disciples, we have nothing to fear. The king of this kingdom we belong to, this all-powerful king is also our loving father. And we are of inestimable value and worth in his eyes. So why do we give in to fear? I think often because we forget to lean on God's love. We came into relationship with God through his love, but then we forget it. It's almost like we move on from there. This is how God wants us to live each day, out of his love, clinging to it, living out of it. When fear rises up again, Jesus reminds us, look at the sparrows. Look at the hair on your head. I know there's not a lot on mine, but look at it. There's still some. And then cling 
Cling to your father's love. Notice how he knows these insignificant things. And notice how much value and worth he places on you. And as David prayed in Psalm 63, your love is better than life. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. When we come to him, he fills us with his love and perfect love drives out fear, 1 John 4, 18. So clinging to the love of God by living out of our identity as children of our father enables us to continually receive his love and his love drives out fear and fills us with courage to share that love with others. And we don't share the good news because we have to or God won't love us. So we get points with God or points with other people. We don't share the good news for all those kinds of reasons. We share it because we are children of our father and we are of great value and worth to him. And out of that secure identity as God's loved children, we get to share that same all-powerful love with others. Courage comes to share the good news when we cling to God's love for us each day and let him teach us how to live out of our identity and authority in Christ in every situation. Thinking back over the last 10 years since that story happened with my soccer team, Jesus has been showing me a lot over these 10 years about myself, my fears, about his truth and his power and his love. He's been helping me live out of my identity and authority in Christ more as I share my faith. I still have feelings of fear at times, but they don't control me like they used to. And I don't feel the pressure anymore either, since I know that God's spirit is the one who reveals opportunities and then gives me all I need to share grace and truth and love in those situations. I don't have to force sharing the good news on someone, but I don't don't have to fear sharing the good news with someone either. I now look for people of peace, like at the beginning of Matthew 10. I look for people of peace. I enjoy meeting and getting to know neighbors on our block, especially during this pandemic. Sarah and I have met so many new neighbors just by doing walks around our block. And we're getting to know names and we're just talking about life together. I'm enjoying being my natural, normal self more, trusting that if God wants me to share something, he'll bring it to mind. And you know what? He'll enable each of us to share his good news in the way that fits with the way he's wired us. It won't be the same for all of us, but we will share and declare his good news the way he's wired us to. I pray much more often for the people of peace I'm getting to know. And that keeps me more connected with them, even when I don't see some of them very often. And I'm learning to celebrate the small steps of sharing the good news, whether it's in word or deed. And often it starts with deeds and then opens up the way for words to be shared. I have lots more growing to do in this area, trust me. But I'm starting to really enjoy the journey. And this is really important as well. I have a missional community. I have a spiritual family to learn this with. And they support me. We support each other as we, seek, as we seek to share the good news of Jesus and let the light of Jesus shine as we look for ways to do that together. So what about you? What's holding you back the most in regards to sharing the good news of Jesus with others? What will enable his courage to flow into you more? Is it declaring the word of God fixing your eyes on the beauty and the power of God's word so that you just want to lift it high and let it shine? Is it trusting in the power of God? Letting the power of God increase your faith so that you learn to live out of your identity and your authority in Christ even more? Is it clinging to the love of God? 
living each day out of your identity as a loved child of God. So your father's love fills your heart and overflows to others. Well, may Jesus' words, do not fear, do not be afraid, remind us that we have the word of God, the power of God, and the love of God. And may this give us courage to live in the light ourselves. And then to let this light, light shine before others by declaring the good news that the life of the kingdom of God is here and it's found in Jesus. We can share this without fear and with great joy, knowing that he is the one who changes people's lives forever. There's a, there's a whole lot that could be said about sharing the good news. But what I want to encourage you to do is to come to a class we're going to offer. And I want to invite you to consider this. Uh, and it's a class just on sharing the good news. We're going to do it online for four weeks. And this is going to cover a lot more practical aspects of sharing our faith, right? How do we share our personal story with others? How do we identify people of peace? How do we find out where someone's at in their spiritual journey and connect in appropriate ways with them? All sorts of practical parts. So this is going to be Wednesday nights starting on July 8th. You can find more information on our church website and register there. So I just encourage you. It's a class we've done recently, but we're tweaking it, revising it a bit. We want to offer it again because we think it's so important to be prepared to do this well. Let's take a few moments of silence and ask those two familiar questions and listen for God's response to you. And as God says something, write it down. God, what are you saying to me today? And what are you inviting me to do about it? Jesus, thank you for speaking to us today. Help us hear your words to each of us individually and then to put them into practice by taking whatever the next step is that you have for us to do, to grow in this area. And thank you that in all of our fears and weaknesses, your love for us is steadfast and strong, always available to encourage us to strengthen us, to give us boldness, to give us peace. We worship you, Jesus, the source of the good news and the one who loves us and who loves this world. In your name we pray, amen.